Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Truth Talks. So today I have with me Dr. Scott Masson. So we are going to talk a little bit about Scott's um, personal story, I guess, a little bit, but his more more centered on his educational experience and his uh, teaching experience, as well as his passion for classical education. So I'm going to just read some of his bio because I want you to just get a little bit of an idea who we're talking with today. So Dr. Masson is an associate professor of English literature at Tyndale University in Toronto, Canada. He teaches on the subjects ranging from literature, uh, from the literature of Greco, the Roman period, the Bible as literature, Shakespeare, Milton, seventh century lit, uh, romantic literature, the work of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, science fiction, and more. Wow, that's a mouthful. I haven't finished yeah. yet. <laughs> Dr. Masson received his doctor, degree of Doctor of Philosophy in 2001 from the University of Durham after living and studying in Dusseldorf, Germany for three years. So that sounds really interesting. I think that mm. we want to talk about that. Uh, it was here he fell in love with languages becoming a German translator while learning classical Greek and Latin at university. Okay, that just boggles my mind. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> so we're talking to a linguist. Um, some of Dr. Masson's research interests are expressed in his book, Romanticism, Hermeneutics, and the Crisis of the Human Sciences. So this is really pertinent. I haven't read this book yet, by the way, which I'm like, i got to get this. Um, and it lies mm. in exploring the way that humanities have been repealed and replaced, it's so true, by the human sciences and the new constructionist, uh, constructivist, I was always saying constructionist, but constructivist anthropology. So he's also a proud member of the Mohawk Band in Canada, and he's lectured and written on a variety of topics. So he's a proud father of two amazing children and has an amazing mm -hmm. wife. So please welcome with me Dr. Masson and we are going to hit the road running here. I want you to talk a little bit about, let's talk about Germany, about your education and some of your experiences that have led you on the path to where you are now. Sure, thanks Anne, great to be with you. Um, I, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit before I go to Germany. Um, so I grew up in London, Ontario and uh, grew up in North London and stayed in London to study at Huron College, which is a small liberal mm -hmm. arts college. It's the, the sort of the founding college for the University of, uh, used to be called the University of Western Ontario. Now it's called Western University. I'm not quite sure why, but um, they made that change a few years back. But I studied English and history uh, there. I did a uh, double major. And um, I actually didn't even intend on on going down that path. I was thinking of being a business major because I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I was not really gripped by the education I had in schools. I, I didn't work very hard and I was not enthused about education. I did reasonably well, but not not particularly well. I found that um, coming to university was a very different experience for me because I, in first year English, even though I intended on doing business, I took one English course just as a, well, what should I add as my fifth course? And um, my professor was a Christian and she encouraged us to read the Bible wow. uh, to help us to study 
English literature. She said that really, if you don't, uh, if you don't have a, a good knowledge of scripture and, and the stories that are in it um, and the basic theology that's pr present there, she said, you're going to not, you're not going to understand m most of the writers in the English tradition uh, up to the first, up to the second world war, she said, but even after that, there, there are allusions to previous writers and you simply are going to miss them all. And, and it's just going to go over your head. So you, you really should get going on that. Wow. And, uh, there were, there was a, there were sounds of mockery in the classroom. Yeah. Um, n not me. I didn't, I did, I didn't do that, but I was a little bit surprised by it. <clears throat> but when she heard the mock sounds of mockery, she said, yeah, you know, you people, um, you know, I heard that and you people are, are making judgments about a book that you've never read before, I suspect. And she said, this is a crit an institution of high a liberal call people that reject things that they haven't read, uh, ignorant. And we're here to dispel ignorance, not to encourage it. So I think you should actually do what I told you to do. <laughs> and, wow, uh, as, I like her. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. And so, and I was, I was struck by that and struck by the fact that somebody actually had convictions and was willing to push on them. So I, I tried to do it. I was told I found, um, it a, a difficult task, but I, I tried to do that, but it had a real effect on me uh, that that she had convictions. And that led me, I studied Milton's Paradise Lost, which I also found very uh, um, influential. In fact, so much so that I, when I did 17th century literature a few years later, as an English major, I, I was convinced that I wanted an education like Mr. Milton would have had. So I read his treatise of education, wow. and that will lead to other things we'll, we'll probably talk about later. Um, but led me to Germany because he had studied various languages. And um, and I went to when I finished my degree, I went to the Pontifical Institute here in Toronto and and asked them if I wanted to be a a medievalist or or a renaissance scholar what should i do and they said you have to do languages you simply there's no way around it you have to do latin and you have to do at least two modern european languages wow. so so i went to germany and uh, met a friend there who i'd met in my fourth year undergrad uh, and he um i slept on his floor for three months while while i was finding my bearings there and started studying german which was not my intention i'd I thought when I went over there, I thought I was going to, you know, build on my French that I'd studied for years in, in school, uh, but ran out of money and didn't know anybody in France and wasn't going to go there with no money. So I stayed in Germany, started studying German and met some of his friends and they were studying classics. And I thought, oh, that's what Milton did. That's what I want to do. So I started studying German as well as, as well as Greek. Oh. Um, and I learned, was learning Greek through German simultaneously, just, those two yeah. things. So my head was exploding. My head's exploding Needless listening to, to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I realized something I didn't know before, which is that I had a gift for languages. I, I just didn't know that, um, maybe because I'd never worked at it and, uh, I had no opportunity to use languages. If you grew up in Ontario or in London at any rate, nobody speaks, uh, other languages. At least they didn't when I was there. 
Um, but I did very well. I got admitted to the university. I passed the test to get in to study as a as a as a student in the University of Dusseldorf. And um, after a few years, I was quite fluent, and um, and yet I was realizing at that point I didn't want to stay in Germany indefinitely, and I wanted some sort of a, a you know an official. Uh, document that would demonstrate that my ability with German was that good, so and that was a diploma. So I just went in to do a to do the uh, translator certificate, and I was in a room full of people who hadn't seen me before. Well, I hadn't seen them before, but they said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "I'm doing the test for the for the translator certificate." And she said, "They said yes, but but you're not in our class." And I thought, "There's a class." <laughs> They said, "Yes, we've been studying for two years for a translate for the for this for this exam." And I, I thought, "Oh, you missed that memo." <laughs> I I missed them. I had no idea. But of course, there'd be a class. I was stupid. I should have thought of that. But anyway, I passed it. So I'm certified translator. And I, as I said, I did Greek and Latin, and I I I did it. Su sufficient to have studied them there in Germany. But then I I, I thought I don't want to spend my life. Uh, studying to be a classics scholar, I, I want to apply it in in some way. I think the classical knowledge is important, but I want to get back to uh, what I loved about English literature, and that was really the Christian uh, uh, worldview that I found in it. But I was not a Christian at this point. I was still not a Christian. So, what attracted um, you to that worldview, I, though? Like, I mean. First of all, you know, the commitment and the conviction of, of this teacher who, you know, kind of broadened your your understanding in, in literature through scripture, through the Bible. But what was it that really kept you there? I was convinced that it was true. Oh. That what I what I read, what I read and what I was reading from the authors was true and it was presented in a beautiful fashion that seemed to be all explanatory, all encompassing. It was a whole uh, worldview that included law and politics yeah. and art and um, and ethics and personal relations. And it, it just it's all there. If you look at it's all there in in the medieval Renaissance period. It's what Lewis now C.S. Lewis calls the discarded image. Well, then it was not discarded. It was a uh, way of understanding the world in which they simply uh, they lived in that world and it was very coherent and it was very harmonious and it was very beautiful and uh, for me this was Oops. a very powerful idea and Christ was in the center of that and I so I left Germany to study in England um, in part because of, a, of, of another Christian professor I had in here at Huron College a medieval professor by the name of Elizabeth Revel, and she had mentioned Durham as a good place to go, so I just threw in an application without having, without having gone there uh, before in my life, and, and arrived there and found that I could not study medieval or Renaissance literature, even though it was in the prospectus, because the medievalist was on sabbatical, the Renaissance literature oh. professor, I think, I don't know if she had a breakdown or there was some sort of issue. So they, I, I, I couldn't study anything before the 18th century. 
And I didn't want to do that. I wouldn't have gone to Durham if I'd known that. But I was there. I I did well. I got my I got a first class honors degree there, and and they offered me full funding to do a PhD. Okay, great. Except um, I was not satisfied with what I was studying there, and I came to find Christ in literature, and I'd not found Him there. Uh, but that summer, between my master's and PhD, I met somebody in a pub who was about to study an MA in medieval at Durham, and and she was defending her faith in front of a, a number of atheist professors, historians, and a few others, oh. and they were ridiculing her, uh, her beliefs, and uh, even her you know her intellect on these things. And I I found her rather compelling. I thought she I thought she defended herself very well and she knew what she was talking about and um, we struck up a conversation she invited me to her church and that went then was a transformative moment in my life because then I found Christ uh, ironically through the by <laughs> a lot I'm in my late 20s at this I think I'm 27 through a pub I get brought in to a the church and then that changes my whole trajectory in my PhD um, so what, what yeah. then? Uh, so did you actually get to study medieval uh, and Renaissance? I never did. Oh, I never did. Isn't that interesting? No. Not at the graduate level. I mean, I, I I did it as a matter of personal interest, but I did not study medieval or Renaissance literature in my grad studies. I ended up doing um, 18th and 19th century literature primarily. Wow which I don't, I don't particularly like. Uh, it's not that I don't like it. I, I, I like it, but I find that th this is where everything starts to go wrong. Things go downhill. There's a, there's a pivot point in the early 19th century when the modern university moves away from Christian theology and the uh, worldview that is, was rooted in really the bedrock of the university. It's a medieval Christian institution. It didn't exist in the ancient world. Uh, but it shifts away from that to the extent that theology is not even studied as a uh, matter of knowledge in most universities. So the German universities move away from that, and the American universities then follow the German example, et cetera, et cetera. And I was having to think all th through all of these things because I had no Christian mentors as uh, professors or so so forth. So I had to start to rethink everything for myself and um, finished my Ph.D., and that in itself is a story, but I don't know if we want to get into that. But um, found I had to learn to fight for my Christian convictions, newfound Christian convictions as a secular academic. Exactly. So let me let me go back to what um, what you were finding. So you, here you are in nineteenth century literature, and everything starts to really do the snowball down the hill. Um, it was like, yeah. The whole constructivist stuff was probably not there, but was leaning that way. And then that really, when you, I think if we can talk about that for a minute, where you see it, maybe that's part what you talk about in your book as well, that, that decline and moving away from a Judeo-Christian ethic within the universities and then 
subsequent to that, what has transpired and where, well, where we're at today is just a gong show. But anyways, uh, that's my intellectual opinion there. <laughs> anyways, yeah, speak to that a little bit. Sure. So in the early 19th century, there's, um, there's a widespread um, departure from belief in, in God. Um, and there's a, it starts in the Enlightenment, there's a, a widespread belief in, in reason, but reason detached from God and where reason and faith are seen as, as contraries, really. Um, there's, there's, not, there's no such thing as a rational faith. Uh, reason is presented as something that operates uh, not just independently, but in ways that are, are against uh, faith, which is presented as a, really as an emotional crutch as much as anything else, but it's not really, there's no uh, content to the Christian faith. It's not to be seen in a rational way. It presents Christianity really as an anti-intellectual yeah. endeavor, which would have surprised the medievals. Um, who are rational about absolutely everything. Absolutely everything is rationally conceived and rationally considered and rationally explained. And anyone who has any understanding of the period would immediately say that. And so the, the caricature of, of Christendom as an, an irrational um, you know, construct set up by clerics to support their own power and self-interest would would baffle anyone before that so it literally is it's slanderous and simply and simply false mm -hmm. and I, that was evident to me as an undergraduate before i was a christian that 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 caricature of uh christendom from the enlightenment philosophers was was simply you know as i say slanderous there's no there's no basis for it whatsoever but it it was influential, and it was influential in what came after in the modern university, where, as I say, theology was banished from the public university entirely. Yeah. And so not only was that, but all the other subjects that had been attached to theology, theology was the queen of the sciences, so it was the one that presided over the other ways of knowing, right. literature, philosophy, history, sciences as we would call them now, the natural sciences, those would, would have had some sort of relation to theology and a philosophy of theology there. Those were now detached from that and then they were reattached to our own historical attempt to understand ourselves from the perspective of the present. So then new disciplines are, uh, emerged that had never existed before like anthropology, okay. which is man's study of mankind going backwards and 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 sociology which is a social way of explaining how the present uh, arrives from the past and and even psychology mm -hmm. the study of the mind from the perspective of a human being that's right and actually within psychology they don't even know what psychology is for that matter the discipline of psychology they're they're not quite sure what the psyche is I it's a big in our in our day, it's the brain, right? And as for, and I just so get what you're saying because I know for me, I, I'm I didn't start higher education until I was 38 years old. It's a long trajectory, so I'm I'm a, yep. a pseudo academic as far as I'm concerned. But um, but when I went to do my PhD, I was thinking I don't want to go back to the states because I'd done my 
masters in uh, at liberty because it was convenient i had children at home and anyways it was just a really good and i and it was good uh the classes were good and everything but um i went to the ontario universities and all i got was this constructionist viewpoint and i'm like okay i'm i'm not happy with this and so i ended up going back to the states and doing my phd a philosophy of professional counseling at liberty because exactly because of what you're saying because there's no basis for the psyche in modern psychology like in any psychology i guess and i have this whole spirit soul and body um philosophy and that's that's what i hold to then it's and I, theologically i believe that's where we need to be kind of anchored in that first of all we're spirit and anyways uh, this isn't about me so go about that no it's not but it's a very interesting topic and and this is this is the problem so if we we want to have rather than a god-centered um system of of learning and we want to make it a man-centered then we have the a uh, problem which doesn't seem like a problem to them, but is a very, very big problem. Well, what is a human being? And and if uh, if we're going to determine what a human being is, then from a scientific point of view, the problem is that the 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 subject who's determining what the object, let's say a, a human being, is the object that we're studying we're the person studying it and so we're involved in the experiment of of ob like we're we're claiming objective knowledge over our human nature and yet we are part of the experiment we're implicated in it it it, it contradicts uh, our claim of objectivity because we're always biased about our study of ourselves we don't want to say see certain things about ourselves and we do want to claim you know divinity for our rational powers well, we they, you know, they're super. We want to claim right? that we are. But divine. we want to deny things like like sin, mm -hmm. and so the modern academy totally ignores sin as an aspect of human nature, uh, and it wants to present its it, again its rational faculties as effectively superhuman, uh, when they're plainly not. They, you know, the, the the theories that were held to be objective in a generation before are often overturned uh, in the next generation. Um, anyway. And that's how modern science makes progress. But again, it's not objective. It's not It's not what would, uh, in the medieval period, be called science. It's objective, real, true, and unchanging. That would be what knowledge is. It would, that would be then true. It would, it would not be probable. It would be true. Uh, what modern science calls truth is often just probability that is verified by experiment to be more and more probable to the point where we can now say, okay, that we, we're pretty certain about that. We can now present that as a plausible theory. But then that, that objective way of looking at things can easily be overturned by a new paradigm that explains the reality better. So it never attains truth, it just attains high probability. Uh, whereas the medieval worldview, they have it explicable to the point where it is a, an absolute certitude. Anyway, that, that this would get us in very deep weeds and on this to, to talk about problems with this. But but that 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 shift from God as the center of the objective way of understanding things to human beings being at the center of it uh, is the problem of the human sciences that I talk about in my book. 
And, um, and, you know, there's something else I was thinking as you were discussing, you know, the objective looking, you know, we're studying ourselves, right? And there's no uh, absolute, there's no absolutes, there's no morality. It's all very, it's subjective in that sense. But here we are at this place and time in our history uh, continuum. It's not like that. It's experiential. Um, the study of, of everything academic now is only through experience, subjective experience, which is so, uh, yeah, uh, to me, it's just mind boggling. And so we're in this place where uh, educationally and then in society that there's so much confusion, so much um, speculation, so much that is um unprovable right and yet it's it's out there as this is it this is it this is the the thing this is this is like uh absolute accurate scientific knowledge and and we've come to that place i think um by and large through all those things that you were talking about that's it's really interesting so is this, there's this combination of radical subjectivity where things are, you know, uh, an individual can claim this is who I am, this is um, the way things are, and nobody else perceives this. They can't see it at all. Like I, I, I identify as a dragon, right. and nobody else can see that I'm a dragon, but I identify that way, and 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 the the state of affairs as that radically subjective claim which is how i feel i feel like a dragon so i am a therefore dragon therefore i am <laughs> and therefore i am that's so therefore i am and so that is plainly from an objective scientific perspective lunacy <coughs> is verified as that is something that everyone else must assent yeah. to agree to and state as the objective status of that person well that's this is for me. This is an, a case in point of the 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 form of knowledge that we have shifted into with the modern education, starting to break apart. Yes. Because what is called science is now plainly anti-scientific, and yet we're saying and we're we're bringing laws in, we're bringing policies in that say you must act as if this were true, even though you know yeah. it's not true, and you must lie to and, people. And so. It's untenable. Yeah. And it's manifestly destructive of the person concerned as well. Yeah. It's not even in their own interest that we agree, we uh, affirm them in their uh, flight from reason. No. And so we're, we're, and what we're saying then is we don't, we don't care about reason at all. We just care about authority. Mm. And if we only care about authority and we don't care about reason, uh, we no longer care about a common world that we share. We simply want power to accumulate to those who have the power yeah. and have the means of exercising the power. And that is a totalitarian world. And again, that's what we're, we're living facing. in right now. We're facing. So, Dr. Masson, let's. Um, I wonder if we um, can segue somehow into, you know, because of all of the experiences, and particularly your educational experience and deep understanding, you have developed a passion for classical education. And I'm hoping that we can talk about that. Let's um, 
let's just take a moment, take a bit of a break and kind of um, move in to that over the next session. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed and more than enjoyed. I hope you really take away a lot from Dr. Masson's um, interview and that you will think very deeply on the whole issue of education and what's happening in our public system. What could be the antidote to that in classical education as he talks about that. So please, um, please pick up his book and check out his YouTube channel. And we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talks with Dr. Rand. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find Ann's books, blog, and sign up for the newsletter by going to restoringthemosaic.ca.